We're on an eight-week series called The Searching Heart. Our heart searches whether we like it or not, and it searches for different things. And, and what I mean by searches for different things, yeah, I got a lot of things that my heart searches for, but there's some common denominators between me and you in regards to our heart searching. There's some common denominators between me and a third world country in regards to our heart searching. There's common denominators between me and the entire world, or Christians or non-Christians in regards to our heart searching. And when you look at these common denominators, what are they? And maybe you can find some specific things that our heart is searching for. And when you do, uh, you've got to ask the question, you're searching for this, I'm searching for this, the entire world is searching for this, what is going on? And that is what our series about, our eight-week series is about. Last week we talked about our heart searches for love. Do we deny that? Can we say, yeah, my heart searches for love, but not yours? Well, if we don't have love, we actually get completely and emotionally messed up. We're starving for love. We're wanting love. We're looking for love. We're not the only ones doing it. People around the globe are searching for love. Then the first week we talked about identity, that we search for identity. Even if you do not believe God created whatsoever, you believe in evolution, you came from absolutely nothing, you live this life, and you go absolutely nowhere when you die, it's still completely and entirely unacceptable for you not to have an identity when you're alive. And that's unacceptable for everybody. I mean, I believe that I was created and I have a purpose, and my purpose is Christ, and when I die, I get to be with him for eternity. Um, That should be my identity. But if you don't believe that, you still want to have an identity, and you will find it. You will stamp it on you. You will live it. You will be something because it's unacceptable for us not to be something or somebody. The heart searches whether we like it or not, and the one we're going to look at today to see if this is a, a common denominator between both of us, the heart searches for pleasure. <laughs> Am I wrong? Does the heart search for pleasure? Um, can you go across the globe and can you see other people searching for pleasure? Can you come to almost anybody you've ever met and say, well, boy, this person searches for pleasure and uh, I search for pleasure as well. It's something that is in us, something that we search for. Before we get into uh, the concept, we definitely want to figure out what we're talking about. So let's just define pleasure. The English Dictionary gave us a definition of pleasure before we start exploring the word to see if we are connected with it or what the Bible says about it. What is the definition of pleasure? The definition of pleasure is the state of feeling of being pleased or gratified. It's not the Bible's definition, that's just the English definition. It's a source of delight. And then some of the words that go along with pleasure, if I'm going to describe what pleasure is, it'd be amusement, enjoyment, happiness, gratification, bliss, joy, satisfaction. According to the English Dictionary, that is what pleasure means. Now when you hear these words pleasure, it's, it's almost instantly, well, pleasure is on this side and the Bible is on this side. They are a long ways from each other. In fact, we are not supposed to have pleasure. We're supposed to have God instead. Therefore, we should reject all pleasure and what? Embrace God and worship him, yes. Uh, Hang on to him, read his word, yes. But this is dry as dirt. And over here is exciting what the world has to offer. But is the Bible given that explanation to us? If you look at God, just God himself, does God take pleasure in his creation? 
Does he take amusement, enjoyment, happiness, gratification, bliss, and joy, and satisfaction in his creation? Well, the Bible's screaming that he takes pleasure. Whoa, God's having pleasure? I thought we weren't supposed to have pleasure. We're looking at the church. Well, God takes complete pleasure in his creation. He also takes complete pleasure in his son. Stated in Scripture, I delight in my son. Do you know something else he takes pleasure in? He rejoices over you. He takes pleasure in you. He takes pleasure in your worship. He takes pleasure in your prayer. He takes pleasure when somebody accepts him as Lord and Savior. So much pleasure that the angels just start screaming and singing with us. Is this pleasure? What is that? Amusement, enjoyment, happiness, gratification, bliss, and joy? Is God's feeling there for pleasure? Is pleasure a word that should be out of the Bible? Or I could ask you a question, is pleasure the word possibly driving the Bible? We're going to look into it, but possibly driving the Bible. God's design in the human body shows that we are created for certain parts that do give us pleasure. Um, I don't know if you've ever had a chocolate chip cookie before. <laughs> I, I've had one, I think, in my life. <laughs> just, just kidding. I've had a lot more than one. But he's given us taste buds for our enjoyment. And then, of course, our enjoyment does stick with us if we do too much. But think about it. Why do we have taste buds? Pleasure. We have a scent of a rose. When we smell something, what's taking place? We're enjoying the scent of the rose. What do we do when we look at creation? Absolutely and entirely beautiful. What does it do? It sets up endorphins in our minds. It said, this is absolutely gorgeous and beautiful. And God loves it when we have pleasure in his creation. I'll even go to another concept of adrenaline. <laughs> adrenaline. Well, what does adrenaline do? You know, what adrenaline does, it, te- it puts endorphins in your mind and it raises them to a very high level where you say, this is extremely enjoyable. Well, God created there with these uh, endorphins. He's created there with these, these microchips in our mind that when you do things, it's like, oh, this has given me absolute pleasure. So we do have these things that, well, maybe pleasure is just for the world, or maybe we do have these pleasures, but we should reject them. Or is there something else in Scripture, maybe a purpose, maybe a reason, maybe a design that God put in us called pleasure for something? We'll ask that question. As we ask that question, let's look at a passage written by King David. And when we work through this passage you're going to see that King David is finding pleasure in something. Because pleasure doesn't come, just, you just don't manufacture it uh, when you want it. Pleasure comes from a source. And this Psalms, in Psalm 63, is David is receiving this massive amount of pleasure, but what's the source that he's hanging on to as he's receiving this? Let's read it, and we'll work through it. Psalm 63, 1 through 8. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, I have seen you in the sanctuary. and Behold your power and your glory. Because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night, because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. My right hand upholds you. 
There's a pleasure that is so intense that his soul is thirsting for it, longing for it, his heart desires it, and his soul is clinging for it. What is that pleasure? As we work through this passage, I just want to work through three different categories. The source of pleasure, the problem we have with pleasure, and how to get pleasure, as this verse is making mention of it. So let's first talk about the source of pleasure as we're working through this verse. Because if it's built inside of us and our Creator put it inside of us, there might be a source that we need to locate. What is the source according to this passage? Number two, embracing God is embracing the deepest, richest, and most glorious love relationship a person could have. Tell you my story. So I'm a no good, rotten sinner as we talked about last as I talked about last week. Deserving nothing but the pit of hell. But God in his riches and his, and his glory left heaven and came to earth as a man. As he came to earth as a man, he lived a perfect life, the life I could not live. And then he went to the cross and then he died in my stead, putting all my sin on his shoulders as he went to the cross. He died in my place for the purpose of setting me free, for the purpose of giving me salvation, and for the purpose of giving me life. He then rose again. After he rose again, he ascended into heaven and says, I'm going to prepare a home for you. And if I go to prepare a home for you, there will be a day that I'll come back for you. And when I come back for you, you will spend the eternity with me. It's a good story. It's a beautiful story. It's a strong story. It's a story that we can look at and we can soak in and be excited about, is it not? It's a story that we can observe and find all the pleasures we could possibly have, is it not? Well, we got the world. The world offers some other pleasures. What's some other pleasures out there in the world? Well, a good way to look for other pleasures out in the world is uh, go down to Hollywood. Hollywood is under the entertainment industry. So in other words, they want to go into the mind of people and they want to sell something absolutely beautiful, absolutely gorgeous, because they want people to purchase it. And they provide that. And what do we do? We love it, we enjoy it, and we watch it. But I want to look at a couple movies that maybe all of you guys will know, and I want to observe these movies a little bit. Cinderella. You ever watched the movie Cinderella? Cinderella made a lot of money, good production. But what's Cinderella about? I am a nobody, but someone be- came to rescue me, and now I'm a somebody. Why did I just explain the story of Cinderella? Or did I just explain the gospel? I am a nobody, but somebody came and rescued me, and now I am a somebody. Isn't that the gospel? No, that's not the gospel. That's the story of Cinderella. What about Beauty and the Beast? What's the story about Beauty and the Beast? A beast that will die unless somebody loves him. And if somebody loves him, he will even no longer be a beast. He'll be a beautiful prince. Oh my goodness, that sounds like the gospel a little bit, doesn't it? But it's selling off the charts. Where do they, where do they get a story that would, they can manufacture, that present, that everybody's buying into, and everybody's feeding off of it? It's a lot of joy. Because there's a lot of joy. It's a, watch that movie. It's a great movie. Beauty and the Beast. Let's go to another one. Tangled. I am in prison, wishing to be set free. Little did I know that I'm a princess and heaven is looking for me. <laughs> think about that. Where did you get that beautiful story? A story that we watch, a story we think about, a story we meditate on, a story that we have pleasure with, and the reason why is because it is a beautiful story. It doesn't stop there. Frozen. You ever watch Frozen? I have a hundred times. I have two daughters. They think the Frozen movie is beautiful. What's it about? I've watched it before so I can say it. I'm cursed, 
The only thing that can save me is true love. I'm a sinner. The only thing that can save me is a God who came to earth and gave me real love, and I don't even know what that love is until it's expressed to me in the cross. Sleeping beauty. I'm dead. The only way I can find, be revived, is if somebody comes after me. And when somebody comes after me, then I can be alive. It's a good, it's a good story. But where are they manufacturing that story? Where are they getting that story? That story's selling off the charts. The story's found in the Word of God. The story's found written on the heart of men. King David did not go after that story as a fantasy. He did not believe it as a fantasy. He soaked on it as reality. Psalm 63, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you. Your love is better than life. You see what's taking place is there's an emotional movement saying, I am seeking, I am thirsting, I am longing. And all of a sudden, I found the one thing that gives me the greatest pleasure, the greatest strength, the greatest glory. It gives me something better that's even better than life. What does that mean? Anything the world has to offer. The psalmist is saying that he has something, which is the same story that is found in the fantasy world. He has something. He calls it truth, and he calls it God. Psalms 4, 7. You have filled my heart with greater joy than when their grain and their new wine abound. Speaking specifically of God, you have filled my heart with a greater joy. Does he, that story, fill your heart with a greater joy than absolutely anything on this earth? than the grain what we receive or the wine that we can take and enjoy, it's even stronger. It's more powerful. There's many people that say, I don't believe in God, and they have many reasons to believe, not believe in God. And like some of the reasons that they say, I don't believe in God is, well, I can't see him. And I'm not going to believe in God because if I can't see him, then I'm just not going to believe in him. Other people say, well, you can't prove him. In other words, science gives me an explanation more so than even God. So I'm not going to believe in God because I cannot prove him. I also say, well, have you ever seen suffering and death? There's no God out here in this world if there's suffering and death because if he's not doing anything about it, he must not even exist. So they're taking a basis of why they do not believe in God. If I was going to reject God and no longer believe in him, I'm not, just to let you know. But if I was going to do that, I'll tell you the terms that I would reject God and not believe in him anymore forever. The only term that I'd use is that he's just way too good to be true. <laughs> if you think about it, he is way too good to be true. All the fantasies that we soak on, all the things that we look, is a heart that is crying for our Savior, our Lord, and our King to be rescued, saved from death, saved from punishment, saved from everything that this world has to offer. Philippians 3 8. Here is a person that is in prison. His name is Apostle Paul. The book of the Philippians was written in prison, and as he's writing in prison, it's about what? It's about joy. Here it is, Philippians 3.8. What is more? I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I don't care about anything. It's all a loss compared to the greatness of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider everything rubbish that I may gain one thing, that story of Christ coming to earth, dying, raising again, so that I can live. Is God's love deep enough 
rich enough? I mean, we understand the Hollywoods, but is God's love deep enough, rich enough, that you can be in a bottomless pit in jail and still rejoice and still be happy? Is God's love deep enough and rich enough that you can be poor and still have a smile on your face saying, I'm free and it is enough? Is God's love rich enough, deep enough, that you could be going through cancer right now and thinking, there is no hope whatsoever, but yet you can smile and say, but there's a purpose, there's a reason, and there's a God, and he's in control, and I'm not, and my relationship will be in holding on to him in that process? See, what happens is this story, the one story that all of our hearts long for, is written in the Word of God. And it is written specifically on our heart. And it is for that pleasure. As God's saying, delight in me and I'll give you the desires of your heart. If you can delight in me, the desires will come. Let's continue to work down. Number three, seeing God gives everything beauty, understanding, meaning, purpose, and mission. I got a Grand Canyon permit. And uh, I'm not going to go into a long explanation, but it's a very hard permit to get. And I get to raft the Grand Canyon, and it's 230 miles, and we'll be on it for 16 days. And you're at the very bottom of the Grand Canyon. And since you get a permit, nobody gets to really go there except you. So you kind of own the whole Grand Canyon. And I went in 2012, and then I'm going to go again next year in August and take 16 people down. And I just want to show you some pictures. And the reason why is because I'm getting so excited about it, because the trip is coming up. So here, here's a couple of pictures that I just have to show you. Uh, I will tell you that, I think they're up there. Oh, there they are. There it is. Um, this is a picture that I took on a hike. I will tell you that it looks like a throne, even, in a sense. That the glory is beyond my mind, beyond my understanding. And I'll tell you that when I look at it, it's like, ooh, emotionally moved. Here, let's go to the next picture. Here's the next picture of our boats. I took a picture of the people that I was rafting with. This is my team. And the 3,000 sheer walls up next to you. I tell you, it was absolutely magnificent and glorious as you're on the bottom of that river. Let's go to the next one. The electrical storms were absolutely phenomenal, and we were in the month of May where there's not a lot of electrical storms, meaning thunderstorms. But here's one that was approaching. We're going to go in August. It will be monsoon season where it will be in extreme electrical storms and flooding. Oh, I'm looking forward to the trip. I will tell you it's going to be even better the next time. So look at the next one. You know, I had four days in my life that were actually the best days of my life. Number one was the day when I got married. Number two was the day I had my first child. I had my first child. My first child was born. Number three was when my second child was born. And number four was this hike right there. I got it in order, and I did tell my wife that I did put it all in order before I said that. But this hike right here was eight miles up to Havasu Falls and eight miles back. Nobody hikes it because it's very difficult to find a camping spot to go up to it, and the trail is hardly even there. You have to cross the stream and those things. Therefore, I was the only one in the canyon, me and a whole bunch of rattlesnakes. And, but I tell you, it was absolutely gorgeous. You can see the color of the water as I walked in this canyon. From sunrise, I went all the way up and then back down. Let's take a couple more pictures of the canyon. I will tell you that it's heaven on earth, and I'm just talking because I've been there before, and I get excited when I talk about it. Next one. Here's the color of the water, and then the next one. There's another color of the water. Then the last one just kind of shows you the pinnacle of the Grand Canyon. So when you look at the Grand Canyon, I will tell you that pleasure takes place. I've got the microchips in my mind that are moving. The excitement happens. But where does the excitement come from? 
Does it come from the beauty of the canyon, or do you want to take it to another level? Yes, you could take the beauty of the canyon, and you could have the pleasure, and you could have excitement, but take it to the other level. You have the artwork, but you have the option of knowing the artist. You have the option of knowing the artist. See, what we do is we celebrate art consistently. As we celebrate art consistently, yes, it moves us, it makes us excitement, and we have a lot of pleasure in different art. But how many artists do you know? If you look at a painting, do you know the person? Do you know him personally? Do you know his mind? Do you know what he was thinking when he was putting the things on the page? No, it's taking it to a whole different level. Seeing God gives everything beauty, understanding, meaning, purpose, and mission. And embracing God changes the whole perspective of the entire life. Psalm 63, 2 says, I have seen you in the sanctuary and behold your power and your glory. And all the response back is like, yes, it's beautiful, but because your love is better than life, my lips will gratify, praise you. My lips will glorify you. You see what's taking place? I see you in your sanctuary, but oh my goodness, you swept me away with your love? Gives a complete explanation of creation. See, the Grand Canyon is a site that is just a specific taste of the glory to come. So when I look at the Grand Canyon, yeah, I get to go on the trip, but it's not the ultimate canyon. In other words, there is another one that I have not even seen yet or not even heard about, but I get a taste of it before I even get there. In fact, when you look at the pleasures of life, maybe a scent of a rose, the scent of a rose is only a smell that is pointing to something that's possible even, that's even bigger, that's even more magnificent, that's even more glorious. But that pleasure of a rose is not the ultimate. There's going to be something even bigger. Well, you're looking at the art, and you look at, say, well, this art is absolutely gorgeous. Well, it's not the art that God has been preparing for 2,000 years. Yes, he's made a world in six days, but there's a home that he's preparing for 2,000 years. Or even the, the scent or the echo of music. When you look at music, music's just an echo of a, maybe a huge tune that's still yet to come. Well, it is, according to the Bible, because when we stand in front of God, there's going to be holy, holy, holy with myriads and myriads and myriads of angels singing it. Absolutely gorgeous. But when we listen to music and we enjoy music on earth, it's just pointing to something, pointing to something bigger. Do you see, everything comes alive when your life comes alive with God. Everything comes alive when you embrace the Creator and the Savior of the world. Psalms 14, 19, 1-14 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of His hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. That's a really good sermon. And what is it? It's all done by the eyes. And what do you see? You see the beauty of the hand of God. And then you get another sermon. God came to earth. He died. He rose. And I'm his. And those same gods are mine. Not same gods, but the creator is mine. Wants to have a relationship with me. Number four, our praise and worship to God gives us the richest of foods. Now, as I mentioned before, that uh, when we talk of the word pleasure, it seems like you know, pleasure is over here, pleasures of the world, and there's you know, pleasures of God here, which I'm you know, um, explaining to you. But let's talk a little bit about the pleasures of the world. Some of the pleasures of the world would be, hey, let's go uh, to a rock concert. 
Uh, let's go to a huge rock concert with large, pounding music, crowded gyms. I mean, some people say that's just absolutely fun. I've been there, and it's like, oh my, it's absolutely overwhelming. But a rock concert, what happens when you listen to rock music? Now, some of you guys are thinking, well, I don't listen to rock music. But you have to confess, there was a time that you listened to rock music. Maybe, not everybody, but there was a time when you're young. What does rock music do? Moves you. You feel it. You hear it. You're consumed by it. It is a power that is being presented literally from the stage that messes with your emotions that gets you excited, that moves your heart, that sends you a direction where you, I mean, I'm not going to do it, but, you know, kind of turn crazy on dancing with the music as it takes place. So if this is what it does to you, let me ask you the question. Isn't that what worship is designed to do? I mean, when we do stand before God and sing holy, holy, and holy, uh, is all this rock music where you feel it, you hear it, it moves you, it takes you, all that, is that a design of something that's just going to take you to something absolutely more glorious and more beautiful when we stand between the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the music is just absolutely singing on the streets? Doesn't it just captivate you? I mean, even in a sense that we've played songs this morning, there's captivation that takes place. Is music pointing to something bigger? Absolutely, music is pointing to something bigger. Let's look at some other thing that's we well, take pleasure and take pleasure in drugs. You know, I'm just sorry. I'm just I've, I haven't taken drugs, so I don't know what it's like. But I've read about it. Your mind is taken to a different world. I mean, am I right? Am I wrong? I don't know. Everything is okay, even when things are not. It, drugs what puts your head in where the stars. Um, again, talk about worship. What is worship supposed to do? Is worship supposed to take you to another world? Is worship supposed to? pick your feet up about two inches and say, God, I just want to be in your presence rather than being around my situations right now. God, I just want your glory. Is it taking your head and putting it in the stars? Alcoholism is saying, well, that's another thing that, you know, we just are excited about, and that's something that we can, you know, have a, a lot of pleasure in. Well, what's it designed to do? Is to step you away from reality, give you peace, make you relax, again, take the weight and the pressure off the world, off your shoulders, I mean, that's what it's designed to do. It's a temporary pleasure that people are completely selling out to and selling their families for. But is it enough? Or maybe you think about that. What does worship do? Steps away from reality. I just want to take a step away from reality. I want to go to church, and I want to know what God says to me right now, specifically. That's what worship does. It gives you peace. It takes a weight off the world. Psalm 63, here's David talking. I will praise you as long as I live. In your name I will lift my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips my mouth will praise you. On my bed I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I will sing the shadows of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Here is somebody that's searching for something that's going to give them the richest of foods. Not temporary, but something such more rich. So let's move to the next point, is that the problem with pleasure. There is a problem with pleasure, and I think we know that, but what is the problem with pleasure before we start talking about how to get pleasure? Here's the problem with pleasure. Our desires for pleasure is too weak, shallow, and temporary. We can easily get caught in this trap of saying, you know, I've got a strong desire for pleasure, and I really can't help myself sometime, and this is why I live the way I do, because of my strength for pleasure. Well, person that's saying that is not saying they have a strong desire, it's saying that their pleasure is too weak weak, 
What do we mean by that? Letter A, we are a people who fool around with sex, drink drugs, and selfish ambitions when infinite joy is offered to us. This point is coming from a quote that C.S. Lewis wrote, and I just want to write that, or read that quote. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us, like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in a slum because we cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far way too easily pleased. It's not that we're trying to please ourselves. We're easily pleased and take something that is temporary, fast, for the purpose of gratification, even when we know it's not going to give it to us and it's not going to produce. We still do it. Letter B, we settle for a home, family, friends, job, vacations, personal computers, when eternal glory is there for the taking. Reason why I put in this in here is because there's nothing wrong with the home. There's nothing like with family, friends, jobs, vacations, Personal computers, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But what the word that is wrong in here is we settle for it. And it takes the life out of us. Why? Because we're created for pleasure, and pleasure is delighting in God. We can't settle for the things, even though if they're good, or we won't experience the pleasure that we desire. Number C, we sell out to personal desires rather than what God desires for us. The problem is not that we seek pleasure. The problem is that we seek pleasure apart from God, thinking that we will find something better than God, and it always comes up short. So there is the problem we have with pleasure. I think many of you agree with me that, yes, we all have a problem with it in various areas in our life. But what if you're asking the question, how do I get pleasure? Because here you had David that was soul was searching he was seeking he was desiring he had something that captivated him how do i get that captivation here's two points on how to get it number six don't invest into the rat hole of sin and death love god and obey his word there is two different ends pleasure here and the bible here but i will tell you that the bible does not come without pleasure The Bible comes with pleasure, and the pleasure is under the glory of God and even under the law and instructions of God. God wants you to have what? Well, these are are emotional commands in the Bible. I want you to have joy. I want you to have peace. I want you to have happiness. That's what the Bible is about. These are God-honoring things, God's desire for us. Well, he knows that something will distract us for the purpose of getting rid of those things. And what is it? It's the rat hole that we invest into called sin, called death. And it takes the fire out of pleasure of God instantly. And without investing into God, you are the source and you will be the source of my life. And selling out to that source, pleasure will never be yours because you'll taste it on this side as you taste it on this side, it will shut down this side. And what's going to take place? Be the most miserable person in the world. In fact, the most miserable person in the world is literally a Christian that says, well, I'm going to take the story of God and the pleasures of God in the gospel, but I'll also sell out everything to this world under drugs, drink, alcoholism, party. I'm going to reject God in my daily life, and I love God on my Sunday life, that is just a tearing and a ripping of a heart. And pleasure 
does not come, and we know it. The next one, number seven, don't believe in God to get heaven. Delight yourself in God to get God. The reason why I put this down is because when we think of pleasure, we think of a source. And the source that we think is a bigger house, better car, more money. And I don't have enough, but when I get to heaven, I will have enough. Well, you just, you just missed the source. You just completely entirely missed the source of pleasure. Pleasure comes from delighting yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. But the desires are not the material things that come. It is your delight in the Lord. And in the presence of God is complete fullness of joy. It all points to God. And guess what? If you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have God now. Pleasure should be overtaking us right now because we have God, and he is the source. So don't hang on. Well, once I get to heaven, I'll have fun but I don't want to have, I don't want to have uh, pleasure now. No, absolutely embrace God, love God, because that is the source of pleasure that he is sending us to and commanding us to delight in. When it comes to a house, yes, I have many rooms in a house. I'd even say I have a mansion that I live in. And as I live in this mansion, it's, it's a beautiful home. As I live in this mansion, I will tell you that mansion means absolutely nothing except the relationships that are inside the house, because that is what is really required that is what the home is. It's the same way with heaven. We think, well, when I get to heaven, I'll have this mansion. Oh, well, mansion doesn't do anything for you. The thing that does something for you is the relationship inside of the home, inside of the mansion, and we have that now, right now with God. Number eight, our heart searches for pleasure because it is searching for God. Our heart searches for pleasure because it is searching for God. John Piper said these words, the chief end of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's what you're created for, and that is why your heart continues to search. Therefore, go to Him to find your amusement, your enjoyment, your happiness, gratification, bliss, joy, and satisfaction, because according to the Bible, He is the source. Let's pray. Father, we just thank You, God, that... uh, when we accept you, God, that the Holy Spirit comes into us and it's a spirit of life. It's a spirit that conquers death. It's a spirit that sets us free. It's a spirit that allows us to love uh, like no other, to forgive like no other. A spirit that sets us on fire, God. We just thank you so much, God, that you have chosen us to have a relationship with you. And God, I just pray that every person in this room would be a people, God, that embraces you every morning, every evening, through every situation for the purpose of finding delight in you. God, we want our lives consumed with you, and we ask that you will be the source of pleasure that we go to. In Christ's name, amen.